And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers sweeping the two-game series against the Boston Celtics, about their win in Detroit, Joel Embiid's utter dominance, and Ben Simmons being more aggressive here of late. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to theathletic.com slash SixersBeat where you can get a 50% off discount on a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We are now coming up. They have won, what, the Sixers have won five out of six, starting with uh, the two against Miami. They had uh, two against Boston and now one against Detroit. They have one more coming up against Detroit on Monday, but how you doing, Rich? Not bad, man. You know, the the team we cover is is playing good basketball. And uh, I think unlike some of the past podcasts, I, I really think the amount of negativity on this is going to be pretty low. It they're, should they're be lower. Good. It should be lower. Um, they, I mean, they, look, they're, like I said, they won five out of six. Uh, they are now 12 and five, first place in the Eastern Conference. I think first place by like a solid game and a half or something like that. Um, it helps that they second place was Boston and they just swept them without Jason Tatum. So that certainly helps the old standings. But there is a lot, and you've got Joel Embiid playing at an MVP level. And that is all good. The asterisk is still there. Beating the 3-12 and 12 Pistons is not exactly a measuring stick, but it is who they had on their schedule. And more importantly, some very good signs were shown during it as... Anyway... <laughs> This cat's unbelievable. We will, this cat is un-fucking-believable. We will not release the video portion of this one because you just got a real nice shot of my cat showing you his asshole. Um, we don't need that, but it is very distracting. But that's what got me to curse. Uh, that's everybody, <laughs> just to let you know. I, it's always a struggle. It's If they're active and I lock them out, you will hear meowing in the background. So when they're super active, I let them in. Uh, the, the, uh, the downside is you get some asshole shots. I'm sorry. Uh, I might have to think of a, a late Christmas present for you to to figure out how to keep these things under control for forty five minutes. I mean, I, I really, I almost need to to, to install a full fledged sound booth, but um, that is way too much effort for a shitty podcast. Anyway, on to your not shitty basketball team. As I would love to look up stats, but my cat is blocking my monitor. You know, I think we could we could go to Joel Embiid, and Joel Embiid certainly played great. He played great. In both games against the Celtics, what I think averaged 40 per night against the Celtics. Uh, he played really good in the first half against the Pistons. But I thought the, the story on Saturday night was Ben Simmons, both because of the defense he played in the second half on Jeremy Grant and also the fact that he really was aggressive. He was aggressive early in the game. You know, I think he had six free throw attempts before the half, had 16 points. 
at the break. And then he was aggressive down the stretch, including what I thought was maybe one of the most shocking plays I've ever seen Ben Simmons even attempt, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, with, Describe said play. Well, I mean, with the game on the line, they they pretty much cleared out and set up a high ball screen for Ben Simmons. They went to Horns. Uh, they had Embiid and what was Harris um, sort of at the, the foul line area. Embiid rolled to the hoop. Harris set a screen and, and dropped back out to the three-point line. And I think what, what surprised me, first of all, the fact that they, they called it. Like, setting up a ball screen for Ben Simmons, you're up four um, with probably about 40 seconds left. He knows he's gonna either going to have to take that shot or go to the free throw line. The fact that they called it is surprising. But also, he had a couple of real... Like, when you're talking about Ben Simmons and not wanting that moment, he had some legitimate outlet passes he could have made. He had... I think Danny Green in the corner and, and and Danny Green's defender had pinched down and provided some help. And then he had Tobias wide open and on oh, an above the break three. And either one of those would have been perfectly acceptable passes, which quite frankly, I probably wouldn't have even criticized, uh, especially up four, two really good three-point shooters, two open looks. But he put his head down, buried his way to the hoop, got free throw line, and I think he made one out of two. I don't think he made both, but he willingly went to that free throw line and drove into traffic looking to either make a shot or get fouled with the game on the line. And I was, I was blown away. I was like, I went back and it's tough to do in live time. Cause like a couple seconds go by and the game's over and everyone's reacting. But like, I went back and I rewatched it. I'm like, Holy shit, dude. Like he actually took that. He took that. I was very impressed. I'm with you. They actually, the night before they did run a pick and roll when Ben was, going down the stretch. And one of the big stories was that Doc said after the game that Joel had said, like, you know, despite the fact that I have 38 points, Ben has really been our best player for the past three minutes here. Let's run a pick and roll in crunch time here. And uh, and he scored. And so, you know, I it, it's been a great couple games for Ben. I I think there are times, you know, we, we have mentioned that the, the big man defense is going to be more – it's going to matter more than, than the other things. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, the, the cat is just, just going there. Uh, you can't see ma- The other one's right over here over my shoulder too, just out of view. So, so big man defense matters more than wing defense. And, you know, th- there are nights we see the NBA matchup data and people will tweet it out. R.J. Barrett, Pascal Siakam shot one of six or one of eight against Ben Simmons. And either you say, okay, like those guys aren't that good first off. But also like if you watch a game, it's like, all right, they're just like missing open shots or whatever. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's help, sometimes coming from Embiid that's affecting some of those shots. Like it just lists who is the primary defensive responsibility. There's a lot more that goes into defense than that, for sure. Yeah, and, and I would just say, too, that's not even a knock on Ben. If you talk to any quant, any analytical type, any even regular basketball person working in a front office, they will tell you that even for them, defense is really tough to measure. That said, Ben Simmons, the last, I'll say starting in the fourth quarter of the first Boston game, going through the second Boston game and the Detroit game, that's about as good as you can play perimeter defense. Yep. You said it on Twitter last night. He was being mean, was mean. to Jeremy Green. Jeremy's having a real nice season. Real real good story. Not last night. Yeah, and, and coming into the game, you know, I, I just 
it's funny. J- James Edwards, the the excellent Pistons writer for the Athletic, he asked me to ask Four a question for James Edwards. Tough, tough beat right now, but it, very excellent at his job for sure. He yeah he he always finds great stories. So he actually he asked me to ask Doc a question before last night's game about Jeremy, and so I looked up Jeremy's stats. I knew he was doing pretty good as a first option. He's averaging like 23 points per game on like 59% true shooting. I was going to say, an efficient, like a lot of people are like, well, it's real easy to put up good numbers on a bad team. Yes, real, it's easy to put up big inefficient numbers on a bad team. If you're trying to put up, you know, high usage, efficient numbers with not a lot of help around you, that is real tough to do. That's tougher to do than on a good team. He is having, a, he's made some huge monster steps in his game. And to be honest, uh, and I'll, I'll let you finish, I'm sorry for cutting you off. I was really looking forward to talking about Jeremy Grant and his his progress. He made one wide open three on a blown defensive coverage. I'm like, oh my God, he never would have made that four years ago. And I was ready to say that all night. And then he barely made anything else. I think he finished like three for 19 for 11 points. I mean, he's so far off from the process. I remember when things were really dire. Let's say like, maybe like 2014, 15, probably. Yeah, I guess it would, would have been his rookie year. I'm pretty sure we talked on two podcasts the only thing we talked about was maybe maybe it was Nerlens a little bit, but also Jeremy Grant shot thirty six percent from three on like maybe like three attempts per game. <laughs> yeah, th- this month and that's exciting. He was so far off from what and, he was now. And by the way, like so, I, I brought this up on Twitter. Like that one month you're talking about, because the rest of the time in Philly he really couldn't shoot. He had one month where it's like he went from like shooting mid twenties to like. 36% for a month, like a solid month stretch. And it directly aligned with the MCW trade press conference, which still to this day is one of the most amazing trade press conferences I've ever seen. Like the Philly media and the way they reacted to trading MCW <laughs> is something I will never forget. Um, you would have thought you just, I mean, he was, he was a building block in the minds of very many in the Philadelphia media, but it, it was well, during- the, the other, the other great part about that. Let me interrupt you for one second. Howard Eskin said that he was at Clearwater and he was like, well, Hinky made this trade because he knew I'm not in town <laughs> right, right now. Nothing to like, do with the fact that the trade deadline was scheduled there. But <laughs> Keep going. So that 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 press conference directly aligned with like the one hot stretch of Jeremy Grant shooting during his time in Philly. I remember act, asking Sam, I'm like, hey, like, you know, what do you think is behind Jeremy's um, strong shooting performance lately? And it, it was sort of like it wasn't intended to be. I was just trying to focus on a, a young player, but it was sort of a softball. Like, here you go. Praise how much, you know work he's put into his jump shot, how much progress he's made, how, how he's on the path to becoming a good shooter. He's like, yeah, he's shooting well, but I think what's more interesting is whether or not that's sustainable and whether or not that actually means anything. And I'm like, dude, you had like a layup in terms of praising your guy. And you're like, well, but I don't really believe it. And he didn't directly say that, but the implication was pretty clear. And he ended up coming back out and not being able to make a shot. And we all moved on, including Brian Colangelo moved on. And to be honest, like Jeremy Grant wasn't close to this kind. I, I would have never in a million years guessed Jeremy Grant was going to become this and going sort of back to the original point. I was real excited to spend last night focused on the progress Jeremy has made. And then Ben Simmons just completely disrupted that narrative completely. Yep. And and I'm not going to get on the, the collar too much for that. Obviously it, it was a win now trade. Er, Ersan was a, a nice fit with Joel, honestly, to start. For sure. But I will say like, I'm not sure Jeremy Grant even gets to this level if he's on the no. Sixers all this time. And guess what? Even if he does, there's a lot of, pain and just a bad fit with him and Joel offensively for a solid, what are we talking about? Four years now? Yeah. Before, I mean, th- before look, you get there. This is Grant's fourth year. And look, he, he showed some progress in OKC 
he certainly showed some progress with Denver and becoming a real useful role player. Um, but like you said, I don't know if he gets to where he is now playing on the Sixers in part because like spacing and shooting was so important. I mean, how many, how many times have we talked about spacing and shooting over the last year, like having him next to Embiid and Simmons for that duration of time would have been tough to find the minutes that he was able to get on other teams. And, you know, it's just it, also, by the way, that draft pick that you got back in that trade is Tyrese Maxey. Now there's a little bit of a circuitous route to get back to Tyrese <laughs> Maxey. They traded, you know, they first acquired that draft pick, um, that 20, uh, what became a 2020 21st overall pick from OKC in the Jeremy Grant trade. They then traded away for Anhe Spasetchniks. Oops. Then got it back when they traded Markel Fultz to Orlando. So there's been, there's, there's some asterisks there, uh, but that they did get that draft pick initially as part of that Jeremy Grant trade. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. That's end of bench mascot. Anzech Pesachnos, as as John Hollinger wrote in his piece the other day, it made me laugh. Yeah, so Ben's defense on a guy who's played really well this year, it was mean. I mean, he, it, when Ben really has it locked in, and he did this a couple of times against Boston, and I'll say this, he did this against all three of their their big guns. Um, obviously, Tatum is not playing, and, and I think it's worth noting that. Boston is going to present the Sixers with a whole bunch of of matchup problems when uh, when they return. But throughout the game, he was mostly guarding Kemba Walker. But he did it to him a couple times. He did it to Jalen Brown a couple times when he was switched on to him. And Marcus Smart, he, I mean, he just ate his lunch on a few possessions. And when, when Ben is really locked in defensively, it's pretty impressive to watch. And honestly, it's not something you see in the NBA all that much. Like when you think of a great perimeter defensive player, the league is so offensive oriented and the freedom of movement rules limit what defensive players can do. There's not many players. I mean, at all. So when you say, okay, he shut down that guy, like he actually shut him down. Like he couldn't get a shot up. He couldn't dribble. It's normally like, all right, stay in front of him. Don't foul him contest the shot, hope he misses, blah, blah, blah. When Ben is locked in, and yeah. I'm not sure he can do this to everybody, you know, like you get the Kawhi's yeah. and the, <laughs> the those group of people, it gets harder, and which is fine. But, but there are a decent amount of people where he strings together these insane one-on-one defensive possessions. It's like watching high school basketball where like one team, one, one team is just way better than the other where, you know, he's getting into Jeremy Grant. He's making him cross over three times to go like four feet. <laughs> and then either Grant is losing the ball, taking a terrible shot, or in the best case scenario, he's got enough time on the shot clock to pitch it out to somebody else and restart the offense. He, 
I'm not kidding. I didn't count all of them. He had about 15 insane yeah. defensive possessions the past couple nights. And I mean, that doesn't even get into the, you know, the play he made to backtrack and stop the alley oop, which led to a four point swing in the third quarter. It was a key play. Ben's defense. I mean, I, I think I'm more excited about some of the offense that he showed. Um, I certainly think he got into some bad habits at the end of the game on the offensive end. There was a few too many snug pick and rolls. I think he posted up Jeremy on one play. No, 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 don't do that. Um, but he, his defense, I just will give him credit. Like he had like maybe three buckets early in a game off of post ups, and those are that's the kind of success where I go, oh, I'm, that that success scares me because I think Doc is going to dip into that well one too many times. And he had the comment a couple days ago, a week ago, six years ago, I forget. But Doc made a comment recently that he was going to try to post. I think it was again, coming into the first Boston game uh, where he was going to try to get Ben more post up opportunities, and that had some people. Being like, well, he's he's efficient this year, and then that had the rational people being like, well, he's never been efficient before in his life, and also this we're talking about like eleven possessions so far this year. Um, so yeah, he has some like Doc's usage of him does concern me at times, both with those snug pick and rolls, and also with uh, the post ups. But in a weird twist, like some of the high pick and rolls almost look better. Like he's been doing a little better job lately of just being able to get a full head of steam and coming downhill. You know, but we'll see how that looks when it's not Detroit. I, I haven't taken a full look at his post-up numbers this year, but there have been times where they throw the ball to him on the block, and I'm thinking like, no, 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 no. But the other team sort of doubles, and then he finds a shooter on the perimeter, and I think like, okay, that's pretty good. They shouldn't be doubling in a lot of cases. And yeah, there's a lot, like defense against Against Detroit, by the way, I think he got like Sadiq Bay on a couple of yeah. post-ups, and I'm thinking like, all right, like if, if you can that. be a little bit better at that, when you have such a, a blatant heft mismatch there, that's like okay. But please, please get fouled when you do it. There, there is like there is, um, you know, some of the, some of the post ups. I agree with you. It seems like teams double him way more than they should. Like let him beat you. Just let him be. Even if he's got three inches on the guy, just make him prove it. Part um, part of me wonders if they're they're so locked into doubling Embiid. Yeah. And that's kind of their scheme. So they see the ball get entered in the post yeah, and it's kind of, it's muscle memory, but don't do it. You, you need to figure out uh, who's on the court. KYP. And also like the snug pick and rolls that, that you've pointed out a number of times, like how frequently those are being like, people are trying to cheat those and jump those. It's like, let them go. Just, just fucking like, even some of these, like, you've, and I get the snug pick and roll is essentially designed so that you have to force a switch. Cause there's so little space that like trying to go over is impossible. Trying to go under you can you can eat up that space between the screen and the basket real quickly. I, eat, go under, like just go under. Try. It works. It like, works. Honestly, like Ben is not. Also, too, the only time they get buckets out of them is when you overplay it and Embiid's able to backdoor it, or when you switch and Embiid has like a six foot six guy on him. Like that's it. That's they it. they really do get the overplay a lot. Embiid biffed the dunk last night, but yeah. I mean, like he he loves the take you know, one or two hard steps. And if the guy's leaning, Simmons will throw it and he's a good lob passer, obviously gets it to the rim. I, I would say too, especially go under when it's on the right side of the floor and Simmons has to drive left, yep. man, he doesn't have nearly as much touch with that left hand. And, you know, I think a lot of people pointed out he had in his pretty amazing fourth quarter stretch against Boston in the, uh, in the second Boston game, all of his points were scored with his right hand. And he had, you know, like, again, like he's All not of getting. Sixers Twitter has turned into Kevin O'Connor. 
he's not getting to the free throw line um, on these moves, but he hit Tice with a beautiful little Euro step. And, and when he's shooting it with his right and he's under control, that's a good shot. Like he's going to make that a decent amount of times. So, you know, you need that level of Ben Simmons. You know, I think on the podcast last week at this time, we were talking about how he needs to be more aggressive. And to be fair, through, I think, three quarters of the second Boston yeah. game, Ben had taken three shots, yep. I think, three shots and two free throws. And, you know, in some ways, I thought he was better than that. Like, it wasn't completely egregious because his defense was unbelievable and the Sixers were scoring at a really high level. And Bede was scoring at a really high level. That was the, the person driving it. Um, but at some point, like, you, you don't get the benefit of the doubt on that. So what do you think... Uh, so, so the Boston series, I'm not taking too much out of it. I, I thought both games were pretty high-level basketball, honestly. The, the second game was was fun, I, I would even say. Um, you know, playoff intensity, whatever you want to call it. It was, But both teams were really into it. Um, what, what do you think? And I'm not taking like, oh, okay, the Sixers are, you know, definitely better than Boston. What the hell are they going to do when Tatum comes back, yeah. though, is my question. Well, because- even just going to that that two-game series, like, you've got the first game where Simmons came out and he, um, you know, defended Jalen Brown mostly. And Kemba Walker had some early first-half success. Cooled out down a little bit, mostly because of his minutes limit, slowed him down. Second game comes out, defends Kemba Walker, and Jalen Brown goes off. And that's only with two of their three stars. Uh, so, yeah, there's a, a, a Ben Simmons problem in the fact that the Sixers only have one of them defensively and Boston has three real and, but the flip side of that is what the hell is Boston ever going to do with Joel Embiid? Hey, he, I mean, those guys, Tice Thompson, Robert Williams, barbecue chicken against Embiid. And And this was a team in Boston who always like that. They were his kryptonite for a long time. And even going back to uh, August, which is still weird to say, and maybe someday won't be weird, but even going back to August, like Embiid had individual success. And now you add more shooting around him. You add the fact that he's clearly at a different level in terms of processing double teams. And that's one thing I, I took away from that two-game series. Like, he 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 dissected Boston's double teams pretty well. Uh, which, again, they don't have Tatum, and, and their schemes are largely built around having those big wings who can be interchangeable parts. Uh, so taking one of them out is, is, is important. But that's still, he like, he had success against a Brad Stevens defense, and it was good to see. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of things. One last thing on the defensive matchups that, that I, I would say. You, you really did see da- Danny Green. I love him. I, I think I, I like him more than a lot of people, especially like just getting off Horford to to add a rotation caliber player. He uh, Him guarding any of those guys is yeah. bad news. I mean, because Doc's decision was, yeah, it was to put Simmons on Kemba and then live with Green on Jalen Brown. And I, I think there there was two threes that Brown hit. One where it might have been a pick and roll, and he, he crossed over and stepped back, and he looked – Brown just looked really bad, out of position. And – and or sorry, Green did. Yeah. And, and Brown hits the, the step-back shot. And then there was another one where I think it was another pick and roll. You know, Brown snakes the pick and roll and passes it. Green is so far behind him that when Brown, you know, takes a while to relocate past the three-point line 
from the paint, he gets wide open for another three, and Danny Green is just like not even in the picture. And it took Doc way too long. I understand, you know, Matisse's offense is very problematic on a lot of nights. Um, it took too long because Matisse was was guarding Kemba pretty well in that in that first half, in the second half of that game, to just say, hey, look, we need to put Ben Simmons on Jalen Brown and just We'll live with whatever Matisse's offense is because him guarding Kemba is our our next best option. But that yeah. But then when Tatum comes back, that that's going to be tough. W- one other question for the Celtics: They have a, I believe, a twenty eight million dollar trade exception. How much does Al Horford make? <laughs> he makes under twenty eight. I think he makes twenty seven right? and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying. <laughs> The uh, yeah. how, how how many picks does a uh, Boston have to give up? Seems yeah, to be what a good, OKC wants. It's a good point. They, I think they would probably just take probably. anything. Probably. Oh, I mean, they would definitely take anything. They would probably give him away for free. They it's a negative his, value contract, of course. They don't want his salary on on their books for the next couple of years. Yeah. So Embiid, I mean, just unbelievable. And not only is he drawing the fouls at a super high level, but to me, what has been apparent over the past few games, he's becoming more of a face-up player than we have seen in the past. Like, I I looked at his dribbles per touch on NBA.com. That's probably not the best way to look at it, but it it is up from last year. It's up from, like, 0.89 dribbles per touch a season ago to, like, 1.2 or something right now. So it doesn't really seem like a lot. But as I'm watching him catch the ball at the – three-point arc in delay and just saying like, all right, I'm going to ISO this sucker, you know, and and whether I take two dribbles and, and pull up for the free throw line jumper or I hit this guy with a Euro step or, or I jump into him and get fouled, it really feels like he's diversifying that offensive game, which has been, uh, which has been cool to see. Now, sometimes it'll get him into trouble. I thought Isaiah Stewart, the rookie on, on Detroit, did a good job staying down on a lot of his, his BS pump fakes and stuff. But against Boston, they had really no option um, on how to stop him. Well, the nice thing about Isaiah Stewart is he is six foot eight. By the so way, I can't, I, I'm not sure I can do this with your cats. Like I, I, I literally am just like, <laughs> if you think it's distracting for you, try, try being on this side of it. You know, the nice thing with Isaiah Stewart is being six foot eight, you know, he's a solid six inches shorter than Joe. He's not blocking that shot anyway. So why the hell would you go for that pump fake? Yeah, no, he he was he was actually really good in the second half, um, for Detroit. And also, Joe might have been he was tired a little bit, and I was actually surprised he played. You know, he took some really hard falls in that that Boston game, and it was I know uh, it was a back to back, and yeah, yep. It went it, by the way. It went from Doc Rivers saying that half the team wouldn't play to everybody played, and yeah. they submitted a very back to back level effort, although. You know, and it was against a bad team, although I think it was pointed out on NBA TV that the Pistons, despite the fact that they've lost 13 games, I think only one of them has been by double digits. So that's, uh, I guess that's yeah. something. They've been they, competitive a lot. They just can't pull any wins out. Yeah, they're, they're not very good. I mean, like they had Wayne Ellington last night shooting like he was playing against the Haverford School again. Yeah. And, you know, the, the three-point discrepancy for most of that game was pretty f- – pretty freaking insane and the fact that it was still close is uh yeah i mean that's why the sixers are better but uh no Embiid's been awesome what did you make of the whole uh the whole marcus smart 
Embiid, the, the whole debate on the, the foul drawing. Jared I mean, Weiss wrote a piece for us about it. Yeah, and Jared, I give Jared credit because he, I, I don't think that piece appealed to his core audience all that well. Uh, I think Jared's major conclusion that was, yeah, most of them were fouls. And he probably could have, have even gotten gotten a few more. Um, you know, I, I some of the takes, I, Boston fans were just livid. And it's like, I first of all, like, I get it. Like, Embiid shot more free throws than your entire team. Like, that's frustrating. But, like, you don't have anyone who can draw fouls like Joel Embiid. Like, there was just a, I, I don't know. It reminded me a little bit of, um, this is dating me quite a bit. But it reminded me of the playoff series in the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals where the uh, Bucks just complained the entire series about not getting called. And it's like, you're playing Glenn Robinson and Ray Allen. Like, who's going to draw those fouls? Like, you don't have an Allen Iverson. And? And what? And Sixers assistant coach, Sam Cassell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it was a little bit like that. Like, Embiid, is, he forces the action. Does he flop? Yeah, Sure. But Marcus Smart is the worst flopper in the NBA, who's, by the way, who's admitted to it on multiple occasions. Um, whatever. Like, people get annoyed, frustrated. Um, I, was, I was surprised that Marcus Smart was that uh, was that open about complaining about it, but he seems like the kind who will complain if you get him going. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus couple things on that. I, th- I thought it did impact the second game a little bit, though. Like, I thought they let him play a little... Embiid was complaining about it, for sure. He yeah. said that he should have been on the free throw line a million more times. And it's, uh... Yeah, he's he's just so good at, at drawing fouls now. C- a couple things. The idea... I, the thing that just sets me off, the idea that the fouls have to be even, like... We right. were attacking the basket. Well, were you doing it as well as Embiid was? Because I don't think you were. Right. I, I don't. I don't think uh, Kemba and those guys were were really attacking Embiid at quite that level. So that's that's the first thing that bothers me. The the second thing, and, and this is pretty um, specific to Embiid. We we've said this time and again, but the the rules of the NBA now with the freedom of movement, with how the post play and 
is officiated compared to the perimeter. Everything is tilted towards the perimeter guy. Everything is tilted towards Kemba Walker to Steph Curry to James Harden with the not being able to land in guys' spaces anymore, which is, I think, in a lot of ways, a good rule because it prevents injuries. But in other ways, like, guys just jump forward and you get three free throws for that. It's, you know, similar to the the plight of Isaiah Joe a few weeks ago having to guard Duncan Robinson at the end of the game where, okay, that was a stupid foul. Don't be near him. But if you are near him, it's like it's probably going to be a foul if Duncan Robinson does his job right. So for Embiid, who is a post player and who has already drawn a crap ton of fouls, for him to kind of take his game more to the perimeter and figure out, okay, I I need to play a little bit more like those guys, to me is like super impressive. And yeah, I get the fact that he's seven foot two, 280 pounds, whatever. But a lot of these fouls he's drawing, I think what bothers people is that he's so big and he's figured out the best way to draw a lot of these fouls are with craft. Yeah. It's not by running through people. Cause guess what? A, that fucking hurts him and B, it doesn't, it's not as effective. So no. the rip you're through, gonna get offensive fouls and yeah, yeah, yeah. The All rip through when, when a guy has his hands on him, the, the drive in, take, you know, two dribbles, feel the contact, jump into the guy and, and throw something up, that's going to get called. And I, I think it's what is intriguing about it is that it is a little bit different than what a lot of these perimeter guys do. But he he has thought for a couple of years, I need to figure out a new way how to play. And this isn't to say he's going to uh, abandon the post or anything. That still is bread and butter. But for the Sixers, I think that's really exciting. The fact that he's starting to become more of a perimeter player. He's starting to get even more, I wouldn't even say even more respect from the refs. He's just figuring out how to game the system in some ways. He's been uh, he's been awesome. And yeah, the uh, the Celtics better get used to him shooting a lot of fouls against him because they foul yeah. him a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, it's not like, you know, it's not even like that first game against the Celtics. I didn't really feel like he flopped. He just, he seeks out contact in a way that you're not used to big men seeking out contact. Uh, and that can be frustrating when there's really not that many options on how to defend him. You know, it is tough to defend him without sticking your hand in there and disrupting him. And he's just become very, very good at using that to find the loophole in the rule book and draw a cheap foul. By the way, he's like, like the guard. a, he's a guard. straight post up too. And he said this after the game four loss against Boston in the playoffs last year. If he tries to post somebody up with his back actually to the basket, because again, a lot of his post ups are, um, you know, pivot and then face right. up and, and shoot a, a face up jumper. If he actually puts his butt into a, a defender, you know what's going to happen a lot of the times? And he has pointed this out. If if I start backing down a defender, the old school way, the shack way. That defender is going to flop. And yeah. maybe I get a bucket on one of two possessions, but probably on the other one, I'm getting a foul. And in the long run, that is advantage other team by a mile for that to happen. So yeah. he's been uh you know, he he's he's been really good. He's, he's, uh, it's just going back to his his face ups his rookie year. Like they were so wild and so out of control and it was like, wow, this is really interesting this seven two you know, Euro stepping through the, the, the lane and like the skill level is undeniable, but he has certainly taken a, like his, his faceups have slowed down and he's more under control and he's more calculated and he's more aware of his surroundings. And it is, you're definitely seeing like version 2.0 of Embiid on offense and a lot of different facets. And that's post up, that's face up, that's foul drawing. 
that's passing. Like he has, he has made that jump. I think that, and again, asterisk, not great competition, especially his last three games. Not great. Um, yeah, I mean, big men that he's going not, against. Not great competition for him, right? But right. Good competition overall. Uh, but he he clearly looks like he has a plan way more often than he used to. He's also shooting mid range jumpers like Dirk right now. I think he's at fifty eight percent or something like that. Schumann That'll do tweeted it. out that they are he is the number one mid range shooter in the NBA at the moment. I believe he is shooting forty percent from three at the moment as well. I don't think that's going to uh, stay at that level, but I would 63.6% imagine. 63.6% from mid-range. Yeah, from I guess 16 that's- 16 feet to three-point line. That's fucking absurd. That is absurd. Yeah. That'll never sustain, but that is absurd. But I do think he's probably a little bit better of a shooter. Like like the idea sure. that he'll continually get a little bit better from past seasons, that seems real to me. And But a little know, bit better would be like low 40s, not- 64. I, I'm thinking, yeah, I was thinking like mid 40s. But well, he's, I think, he's, I think he's at 41% for his career. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not going to sustain. That's fine. But I, I do think there is something to, okay, he is so in control with the ability to draw fouls and understanding where the double teams are that his shots might be a little bit easier this year, where yeah. he just understands, okay, they, they, they're staying home. They're, uh, they're playing off me. Okay. This is going to be an easy shot because, you know, I think we always talk about like Durant, that shot is unblockable. Well, guess what? If Embiid is facing up and your hand is not out guarding him, guess what? That's unblockable too. Yeah. So, well, and, and the noise of some of those numbers and why it could be more than like low 40s, why it could be more than just a, an incremental improvement, you know, those numbers don't differentiate. Like those could be, you know, post ups that were pushed out in our tur- turnarounds in previous years are now face ups where he's got a clear advantage. Um, so the, 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 the difficulty of these shots could certainly be different for sure. For sure. Yeah. He's good. That was I, a, I will say I did giggle when, uh, I mean, he hits that step back shot on Tice. I'm just do you like, like actually giggle. Like I, I would yeah, love to I see was like, Rich Hoffman. Get, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, he's, he's insane. He's so good. And beat Jokic. No, I'm I'm, I'm kidding. We don't need to get into that. I, <laughs> Jokic, I don't really watch a lot of the Nuggets, but just like looking at his numbers, his numbers are absurd. It's just every year they're so insane. I, he's aver- I think he's averaging a triple double right now. I think he's averaging a triple double as a center. Yeah. Um, people talk about like, is he the best passing big man? Like, no, he might be the best passer in the NBA. Forget forget position. Fascinating two different players. We don't need to get into that right now. Yeah, I mean, look, and 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 and. What else can you say? I think I think we've we've probably said it all. Let's move on to Tobias Harris real quick, and then we'll cut this short because I think it's real easy. And and look, I was dismissive of Doc as a Tobias whisper. I was dismissive that he was all of a sudden going to shoot forty five percent from three again. Well, I mean he's playing some of the best basketball of his career. Do I think some of this is shooting variance? Yeah, probably. But it's also like I do think he is making quicker decisions. I think he is being more decisive and. And like we can go through the pick and roll numbers. It's not even like he's being put in more pick and rolls again. Like we mentioned earlier in the season, like it's not like he's succeeding in the same way he was with the Clippers. He's playing a pretty different role. He's just playing it really well right now. Had to feel really good for him against the team that he was embarrassed last year in the bubble. He was so bad in that playoff series. And we said many a mean thing about him, which 
he deserved at the time. But he has been Mr. Consistent. Honestly, after that first game against yeah. Washington, I think Andrew Unterberger tweeted this out, but he's been between like 16 and 25 points on, you know, I think he's, his true shooting is definitely plus 60 right now. Every game since then, and it just, you know, I don't know what he's doing exactly. It's like you said, I don't see any major schematic change where, oh, Doc's getting Tobias and all of these pick and rolls. I'm just seeing somebody work within the, the confines of the Simmons and beat offense and yeah. making way more of his opportunities. Like, there there was one play last night, again, and I, I've mentioned this before, where, you know, Simmons is pushing the ball in transition and Tobias is at a full sprint and he catches the ball in the wing at quite literally a full a full sprint squares up and he uh he makes the three and i just thought like man he's not doing that last year and no. what you know maybe that shot isn't perfect i feel like he's making a lot of those right now but it's good like that that's a shot that the sixers need him to take and in the long run will will help them so you know and i do like that doc we got on Doc a little bit about what he has said about Simmons and and posting him up. That this was that was even before the post ups. That was like I don't care what um, what he does if we Can score I just points. Make a comment on that when Simmons is struggling, he says I don't care what he does. But when Simmons has a game like last night, he comes out and says, "Yeah, like I said before the season, I want ten free throw attempts per game out of Simmons." Well, either you care what he does as a scorer or you don't care. There's certainly a little bit of shielding Ben when he's having a you know, bad stretch or a bad game. Oh, I don't care what he does. But when he comes out, it's like, yeah, it's what we want him to do. There's a little bit of an inconsistency there, but go ahead. Yeah. I don't know what doc is like, how he is um, communicating this to Ben, but it feels to me that he understands like, Hey, you need to start thinking a little bit less and and getting your butt to the basket. I think there's probably some truth that he doesn't care about Ben shooting right now. I think he probably would like him more aggressive, more consistently. If I had mm-hmm. to read those two, uh, and yeah. I think that is part of the discrepancy. But but back to what he said about Tobias, like people will ask him, okay, what did you think about his game tonight? And Doc will bring up, yeah, he made a couple of those step backs after six dribbles or whatever. And yeah, I don't really like those shots as much. He's not as efficient when he does that. And so uh, I, I guess with Doc Rivers, you got to take the good with the bad. Sometimes his uh, his public comments don't match up with what we're seeing, but other times he he seems to be right. And I will say, like Tobias, even though he is making quicker decisions, it feels like on the possessions where he does have to bail the Sixers out and take some crappy shot, he's making a decent amount of them yeah. too. So since uh, since after the opener, uh, so the last thirteen games that Tobias has played. 20.2 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3.1 assists, shooting 53.6% from the field and 48.4% from three-point range. Like you mentioned, he hasn't scored fewer than 16 points in any of those games, and he hasn't scored more than 26 in any of those games. He's just a very consistent 20 a night that you can pretty much pencil in right now. And look, do I think he's going to regress on that three-point? He's not a 48% three-point shooter. I don't care what Doc is doing schematically. I don't care how much you tell you know, Tobias to make quicker decisions. He is not a 48% three-point shooter. I'd love to see him get to the free throw line a little bit more. He's having 2.1 free throw attempts per game compared to 15 field goal attempts. The fact that he has been consistent despite the fact that he never gets the line is pretty amazing. But, you know, I do, th- it's just, I don't know. It, it, it's, he, it, he's very clearly making quicker decisions and being more decisive. And 
and we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Like, is he being is he having success because he's more de- bleh, more decisive, or is he more decisive because he's having success? And we'll find that out when he struggles. Well, he hasn't started struggling yet, so I mean, good. I mean, that talking about thirteen games where he's been automatic, he's playing real well, real well. Good defense on Jeremy Grant last night too. It wasn't just Ben Tobias. I looked at the matchup numbers again. Don't treat these as gospel, but Jeremy Grant one of six against Tobias, and Tobias was. Moving his feet well, you know, he's made some plays at the end of games too where maybe he's not guarding the Jeremy Grant type, and that's Ben or Matisse or somebody, but he is stepping in and and making a play off the ball, you know, whether it's a quick hands play or a rotation. And, you know, Doc, he does trust Tobias. He The past couple of games, he has changed up his rotation a little bit where the uh, Tobias goes out first now because he wants him to play with the all bench unit and that unit actually, I would say it won the game against Boston, Boston game two. Yeah. At the end of the third quarter, they took and beat out. And I think the Sixers closed on a, uh, a 17, four run at the end of the uh, third quarter. And it, it was concluded by Korkmaz holding up one-on-one against Kemba Walker. And uh, I, <laughs> I was also giggling. I'm not going to, redo that but at uh <laughs> at doc rivers and dan burke they were they were pretty fired up with the corkster after uh <laughs> after he uh he forced a tough step back jumper from kemba and of course the uh the bench was just horrendous against detroit that's yeah. part of the reason that was a close game but uh yeah T- tobias has been good and so to, to answer the question from earlier what the hell are the sixers going to do when the celtics get all of those guys back i, I think the answer whatever they do with green in a trade, the answer is going to be, I believe that Tobias Harris is going to have to guard one of those guys, probably Jalen Brown. Is that going to go well? Eh, I'm not sure, but I, I think that's probably the best. It's it's really their only option at this he's point. So if you're good. going to play Seth Curry, he's I I did not like. There are very few people I've been so wrong about as Jalen Brown. Like he just looked completely lost at Cal. Like completely, lost. he is really really good. He's insane. That's why the Celtics, like, even though they lost those games with how he played and that the fact that Kemba, who's pretty fresh off that long absence, a lot of mystery surrounding his knee, for those guys to look as good as they did, that's they should feel pretty good about that. Yeah, they are still a good team for sure. All right, we have one more against the Pistons uh, and then a home Big game one. next Wednesday against the Lakers. Get your popcorn out. Uh, and then what we have, the... Wolves, Pacers, and Hornets before the schedule picks up again. Um, Road-heavy stretch they're on now. Yeah. Anyway, we will talk to you soon, Rich. Thanks for jumping on. See you, man. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.